Well, Annie and Eddie just introduced one of the biggest topics, one of the biggest themes in Christianity, and that is forgiveness. And what are we being forgiven of? It's sin. And I know that one of the biggest themes that seems to be coming from the church, from the world's perception, is Jesus loves you. And I think sometimes we go to that theme because um, it's what motivates forgiveness, but, um, but also because it, it helps us maybe avoid the problem of sin. But yet our world is still struggling with sin and trying to figure out what to do with it. If you go and uh, look at maybe uh, 20 movies, you'll find that probably 50% of those movies are dealing with the theme of forgiveness. And someone in a story somewhere is being forgiven or seeking forgiveness or trying to figure out what to do with the wrong that they've done. They're troubled by it. They're frustrated by it. And the, and the most frustrating thing to me as, as a Christ follower and as a pastor is that this is the biggest message from the gospel is that God forgives you. And if Jesus was a superhero, his superpower would be forgiveness. And yet somehow we forget this. And even those of us who've grown up in church and heard the gospel, have heard the good news, somehow we tend to forget that forgiveness is at the core of this message. Forgiveness by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, if you go to Jesus, your sins are forgiven. That's big. That's wonderful. And I have a wonderful, beautiful story that illustrates that and tells the heart of the good news, the heart of the gospel. But I, I, I and the, telling this story will only take me maybe three minutes, but I, I can't tell it to you right now because if I told it to you, you'd probably go, yeah, I heard that before. Yeah, that's true. And, and you'd just be totally underwhelmed. And so I, we need to be overwhelmed by this story. And so there's some things i got to tell you before I get to the story. So really, I'm going to spend a majority of my time telling you some things so you understand the magnitude of this story that Jesus told. So if you go to Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You are forgiven. Why do we have such a hard time believing that? Why is it hard to get that through our heads and down to our hearts? We accept it in our mind and theory, but in our hearts and practice, we reject it. We, re we reject grace, the gift of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's because everything in our culture makes grace impossible to understand. I mean, think about some of the conversations, the th things that you see on TV, bad guys, good guys, but there's, you know, people saying, there's no free lunch. You get what you deserve. You want love, earn it. By all means, give others what they deserve, but not one penny more. And God loves good little boys and good little girls. Well, what happens if you happen to be the bad little boy that day? Kind of scary. The emphasis seems to be on what I do rather than on what God is doing. But at some point, we're faced with the painful truth of our inadequacy and our insufficiency. And when we're faced with that, we, we maybe struggle with forgiveness by grace because we've forgotten something really big. We've forgotten something really big, and maybe you've forgotten it, but I want to remind you today, God loves sinners. God loves sinners. Some of you are even kind of like, is that really true? Is, is that really in the Bible? I don't know if I've heard somebody say it that plain before. Well, listen to this, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love while we're still sinners. God loves sinners. The thing is, do you identify yourself as one of those sinners? Are you willing willing to throw yourself in that lot? If you are, it can change you. You know, our God, he is the only God that mankind has heard of who loves sinners. The, The false gods, the gods of human manufacturing, they all despise sinners. But the Father of Jesus loves them. You are forgiven. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've thought. And I'm going to be repeating that because I want it to get into your brain and I'm hoping it'll shake down to your head. So I'm going to need you to, to say this with me, okay? And, and, and so we'll change it from you to I. I'm forgiven no matter what I've done, no matter what I've said, no matter what I've thought. It's okay? And so I, if you can just get the done, said, and thought you can hang with me here, all right? So we'll try it again. I'm forgiven no matter what I've said, no matter what I've done, no matter what I've thought. We'll see if I can keep it in the same order throughout the message. All right. So God loves sinners. You know, we, we took uh, time this summer to go through the story of God. And at the beginning of his story, we see that God is a righteous judge who punishes sin and evil and rewards faith. And we somehow twist that and think that God punishes the evil people and rewards the good people. No, he rewards faith, even people who are evil and have faith in him are rewarded. Faith is rewarded. You know, there was a religious man once upon a time that really struggled with this uh, twisted conception that God punishes punishes the evil and rewards the good. And and he, he struggled with this and he said, how is that good news? I mean, did Jesus really have to come and reveal that terrifying message to us all? I mean, I I think we already knew that. But then it finally broke through to this religious man into the insight that God made sinners righteous through the forgiveness of sins in this idea called justification. That man was Martin Luther. And when it dawned upon him, when it came upon him, Luther said, it was as though the very gates of paradise were open to me. It's like his heart was finally melted. He finally understood grace. This is a man who grew up in the church all his life and become a priest and didn't understand grace, the forgiveness of sins, until later in his life. And maybe some of us have been in the same boat. You know, theologians call this idea justification by grace through faith. But I think G.K. Chesterton says it in a way better for you and me. It is the furious love of God. He has a relentless stance towards each one of us. He loves us, and he won't change that stance. If you finish the story of God, you'll come to understand that by no earning, by no merit of our own, we've been restored to a right relationship with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his son. This is the good news. God saves us single-handedly by grace. But do you believe it? Do you believe grace must be drunk straight, nothing added? Do you believe, have faith, that God forgives your sins, not just those other people out there? Do you believe that he loves sinners? And do you cast yourself into that lot and know that he loves you? 
If you do, this can change everything for you. You are forgiven. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've thought, you are forgiven. Let me remind you of a few other things before I get to the the wonderful story. Jesus saw Matthew at his post uh, collecting taxes, and he said to him, hey, follow me, Matthew. Matthew got up and followed him. And in his joy, he decided he was going to throw a party for for Jesus. And and he was going to make Jesus and his disciples the guest of honor. And so he invited all his friends to come celebrate. Well, some of Matthew's friends were not so reputable. Uh, They were kind of the tax collectors, prostitutes, those people that were kind of the outcast of society. And the Pharisees came and saw this, and they began to complain to Jesus. Jesus then responded to them saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the self-righteous, but sinners. Jesus comes for sinners. Corporate executives, street people, superstars, farmers, hookers, addicts, IRS agents, AIDS victims, and even used car salesmen. If you're a used car salesman, that that was a joke. Laugh. We're not laughing at you. Laugh with us. Jesus not only talks with these people, but he dines with them, fully aware that his table fellowship with sinners declares that he is friends with them. The kingdom of heaven is not an exclusive, snobbish suburb, but a larger, homelier cast of people who understand they're sinners and who have experienced moral struggle. You are forgiven. No matter what you've done, no matter what you said, no matter what you've thought, you are forgiven. The good news means that we can stop lying to ourselves. We can stop lying to ourselves. The sound of amazing grace saves us from self-deception. You know, it, it keeps us from denying that though Christ was victorious in our lives, the battle with lust and greed and pride, it still goes on in us. It still rages. There is a battle. And I don't need to apply any spiritual cosmetics to make myself representable to God or to anyone else. I can acknowledge that I am often unloving, I am irritable, that I am angry and resentful, even sometimes with those closest to me. Jesus loves me, this I know is a very true statement, but it's also true, Jesus knows me, this I love. One of my favorite lines from uh, the blockbuster Avatar was the part where uh, the female lead character uh, turns to the hero of the story who's who's actually done some hurt and some deception, uh, turns to him and says to him, I see you. And what he meant by that was not that I see your physical presence and your outside, but I see into you. I see your very core. And I love you. I accept you for everything you are and everything you're not. And I believe Jesus looks at us and the Father looks at us through the Son in that way. You know, when you understand that, when you know you're forgiven and that grace has really laid a hold of you, something can be made radically right on the inside, at the very core, the very root of you. You can become honest. It's like the the 92-year-old priest who was in the town that really respected and revered him for his holiness and his uprightness. And, and one day the priest disappeared, and, and the townspeople were going, where'd he go? And, and he was gone for about a month, and then suddenly reappears, and all the townspeople say, well, where were you, Father? 
And, and the priest replied, he said, well, I, I was in prison. I, I just finished serving a 30-day sentence. And the people, townspeople were like, Father, what happened? I mean, you, you wouldn't hurt a fly. How'd you end up in prison? And he said, well, I was, I was getting ready to go to the city, and, and I bought a ticket to the train, you know, get on the train. And I was waiting there on the platform. And while I was waiting there, there was this beautiful, gorgeous woman who walked up on the arm of a policeman. And she turned and looked and pointed at me and said, that's the one. He's the one who did it. I'm sure of it. And he said, I was so flattered, I pled guilty. (laughs) Well, there's a touch of vanity even in the holiest of people, of men and women. They see no reason to deny it or try to cover it up. And when I get honest, I admit that I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I, I believe, and yet I doubt. I hope, and I get discouraged. I love, and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I'm trusting and suspicious at the same time. I'm honest, and I still play games. To live by grace means to that I acknowledge my whole life story, the, the light side and the dark side. And in admitting that shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. You and I are forgiven. No matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter what we've thought, you and I are forgiven. In Luke 18, there's, I'm still not to the good story yet, I'm just telling you some more things here. But in Luke 18, there was a rich young man that came to Jesus asking what he he must do to inherit eternal life. And I think it's no coincidence that Luke juxtaposes that passage of Jesus and the children immediately preceding the verses on this rich young hipster. the, the, The children are in contrast with this rich man because there's simply no question of their having been able to earn anything. Jesus' point is that there's nothing that any of us can do to inherit the kingdom. We must simply receive it like little children. And little children haven't done anything, have they? I mean, the New Testament world was not sentimental about children and had no illusion about, illusion about any uh, you know, pretend innate goodness in children. Children are a model because they have no claim on heaven. If they are close to God, it's because they're incompetent, not because they're innocent. If they receive anything, it can only be as a gift. It's by grace that you have been saved through faith, not by anything of your own, but by a gift from God, not by anything you have done so that nobody can claim credit. You are forgiven. No matter what you've... No matter what you've... No matter what you've... You are forgiven. You know, a small child, a small child doesn't attempt the complicated thinking of, of justifying themselves like adults do. You know, sometimes we try to justify ourselves instead of being justified by God, by grace through faith. You know, we justify ourselves when we, we beat ourselves up with guilt. You know, uh, thinking, well, I, I deserve to feel bad because I did that bad thing. So I'm going to try to make myself feel guilty. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish myself because of my sin. That isn't trusting grace and forgiveness in Jesus, nor nor is that conviction to repent. That's just wallowing in your guilt. That's what that is. 
you got to understand that you don't have to beat yourself up any longer because Jesus Christ already took the beating for you. That is trusting. We, you know, we try to justify ourselves by keeping a, a good record and trying to balance the books on, well, here's what I've done right and here's what I've done wrong. You know, well, yesterday I looked at pornography and masturbated, but today I helped an elderly person get their groceries across the street. And so now I feel better and everything's all right. Everything's balanced in the books. You're back to earning again when you think that way instead of grace. Justification by grace through faith means I know myself accepted by God as I am. Genuine self-acceptance isn't derived from the power of positive thinking. It doesn't come from mind games. It doesn't come from pop psychology. It is an act of faith in the God of grace. That's where acceptance comes from. Romans 5, 8. God loves sinners. You are forgiven. No matter what you've... No matter what you've... No matter what you've... You are forgiven. And knowing that to your core can change you. There were times in my ministry when I wondered if teaching the acceptance of God and Jesus Christ would, would halt the ongoing conversion process, that people would stop growing, that they would become spiritually lazy and say, oh, well, I can be morally lax because, you know, God's grace, he forgives me. But nothing could be more untrue. Acceptance of self through Jesus Christ and trust in God's grace doesn't lead to laziness. Instead, it makes us oppose the status quo. It makes us want to change. It causes us to say, God, I want more of you. I want to be like you. You did this for me. I love you. Because of faith in God's grace, we grow and we change. You know, fear of God, it's, it's right and it's real, but the love of God carries us home. Jesus has this strange attraction to the poor in spirit. He, he's attracted to the unattractive. He's he desires the undesirable. He, he has a strange love for the unlovable. Jesus does what he sees the Father doing. And he loves those whom the Father loves. The Father loves you. The unattractive, the undesirable, and unlovely are some of the words that fall into the category of little ones. When Jesus took a child upon his knee and said, Become like a child or you won't enter the kingdom. He made little ones to be the model for would-be disciples, would-be followers of Christ. In Jesus' day, children were of no importance, meriting no attention or favor like children today. I mean, we have television channels and advertisements and companies that bombard our kids because they're going after the young people. But not in Jesus' day. Children were regarded with scorn. They were of no importance. For a disciple to be a child is to be willing to accept oneself as being of little account and regarded as unimportant. The poor, the beggars, the oppressed, the prostitutes, and the tax collectors were those in the lowest places of society in Jesus' day. They were the little ones. And Jesus' concern were that these little ones should not be despised or treated as inferior. Accept the kingdom like a little child, accepting an allowance from their daddy. It's not because the child earned it. It's simply because the father takes delight in them. That's what an allowance is. You know, back in um, 
my family's old neighborhood in Kansas, we had a few small children around around the neighborhood. And at the time, Isaac and Annie were maybe five, three. Eliza was just born. And, and Sherry and I wanted our house to be more of the home base where kids came to instead of our kids going off to, to places we didn't know. And uh, so Sherry, to uh, create this home base for kids, decided to stock the kitchen with lots of cookies and stock the refrigerator with lots of popsicles. And so that worked. And uh, so there were a couple of children who tuned into this fact about the McCready house. And they would show up on our doorstep every now and then. And we found that they weren't ringing our doorbell to play with our kids any longer. Uh, they would ring the doorbell and you open the door and say, hey, Michael, how you doing? And I'm sorry, Isaac isn't here today. He's uh, playing with a friend at, at another house, but he'll be back in a little bit. Why don't you come back in a little while? And without flinching, without even looking down or, or any kind of uh, uh, bashfulness at all, he would look at me and go, can I have a cookie? <laughs> there was one time we were in our house together as a family and we heard a rustling in the kitchen and we looked around. All our kids are here with us. What is that sound? Is there an animal in our house? And we run up into the kitchen and guess what? There's a little neighbor girl and she's trying to climb up on the counter and open up the cupboard and she just looks over at us and goes, where do you keep the cookies? <laughs> Now, you know, those kids, they didn't leave our house without a cook, one cookie in their mouth and one in each hand. I mean, that's what we wanted. We wanted those kids to have those cookies. But you know, when you think about Jesus telling his would-be disciples to become like children to enter the kingdom, think about those cookie kids. The Father doesn't want you fretting about your character defects. He doesn't want you seeking his favor by plunging into more spiritual activities, multiplying sacrifices, or lengthening your formal prayer time. The Lord just wants us to be little cookie children before him. The Lord wants to give you those cookies. You don't have to play any games to get them. You are forgiven. You just ask, like the cookie kids. You are forgiven. No matter what you've... No matter what you've... No matter what you've... You are forgiven. And now I'm finally to the story. It's only going to take me about three minutes. So band, you can come on up here. It's found in Luke 15. And as you listen to one man's journey, keep in mind this man is, is one of those cookie kids. See, there was a man with uh, two sons whom he loved both dearly. But the sad thing was that both sons loved their father's stuff more than they loved their father. But it was the younger son who unabashedly asked his father to give his share of the inheritance before his father was even dead. Well, in an act of extravagance, this father gives this younger son what he asked for. He gives him his inheritance. He divides the estate. And the son, well, he soon left home. And the townspeople wrote him off as a good for nothing. I mean, no responsible son would do that. He stays at home and helps the family, takes care of things. And no son would ever ask for his inheritance before his father died. That is just crazy. Hope he never comes back, was probably what the townspeople said. And as it turns out, the younger son really did screw up his life. He took everything that was given to him and squandered it on a partying life until he had nothing left. And then right at that time when his money ran out, that country that he was in went into a big recession. And the only job that this poor Jewish boy could find was feeding slop to pigs. And it was a miserable, miserable job. Couldn't even pay him enough to, to feed himself. 
And he wished he could eat as good as the pigs did, but he could never get a break. Finally, he, he came to his senses. He began dreaming of home and realizing that all his father's hired men were well fed and that they had plenty to spare. And so he thought to himself, you know what? I know that my father won't accept me as a son, but I know if I went back to him humbly, he'd take me back as a hired servant. That's what I'll do. And so the son, he began on his way home. And as he went home, he began rehearsing his speech that he's going to tell his dad. And so he rehearsed it like this. He said, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to call your son. And so would you take me back as, as one of your hired men? And so he kept rehearsing this. And now as the, the son approached the father's lands, he didn't realize that his father had been watching for him. And while he was still a long way off, now, now get this, I'm not embellishing Jesus' words at this point in the story. This is what Jesus really said. He said, while his son was still a long way off, his father recognized him and was filled for com with compassion for him. Filled with compassion for him. And the father ran to his son. Picture the oldest person you know. Some 80, 90-year-old person you know that's dear to you and picture him running to you trying to get to you because he's so filled with compassion for you and he can't stop himself and he's so motivated he can make those old legs go and he throws his arms around you and he kisses you and hugs you and he's so glad to see you. That's what Jesus said the father did for the son. And the young son immediately started into his speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy called your son. But the father was like, no, 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 wait, wait a minute, stop. Doesn't even let him finish his speech. And the father calls out his servants and says, hey, bring out the best robe. Bring out my ring and put it on my son's hand because this man is now restored as a son. Put on the best sandals. Hey, let's throw a party. Let's, get, let's, let's slaughter the calf. We're going to have a barbecue feast. Let's turn up the music. Let's dance. And so they throw a party. Well, the older son hears the dancing and the music, finds out what's going on, and he's not too happy. He's very angry and so frustrated that he, at his father's extravagance that he, he wouldn't come in to see his dad or his brother. And when the father came out to speak to him, the older son couldn't even call him father. His, his son said to him, Look, you, I've been slaving for you all these years. You never gave me a, a party. Never even gave me a goat to, to have a feast with my friends. Had he really been slaving? Is that really his perspective of living with his father? The father replied, my son, don't worry about your inheritance being divided again. Everything I have is yours. You can have a party anytime you want. But we had to celebrate because this brother of yours, he's no longer dead to us. He's alive. He's no longer lost to us. He's found. And that's the amazing story that Jesus speaks to you and to me about the Father's heart towards us. This is the heart of the good news to us, that God loves sinners. The Father loves sinners. And you can receive it like a little child, or you can stand on the outside being angry and mad. But he's saying, just come in. I'll set your dragon up here. Leave that behind. Just come in. I forgive. 
you are forgiven. There's no calculating your good deeds or obedience like the older brother. The father welcomes you, and there's no pretense. There's no pretending or scheming to come back like the younger son. Jesus says we have an extravagant father who loves us and wants to welcome us little cookie kids back. Just ask. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive you and will purify you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will forgive. Just trust the relentless, unchanging stance of God's furious love. He doesn't change. He's, he's, he's not like the wind. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God loves sinners, Romans 5.8. You are made right by grace through faith. You are forgiven. No matter what you've, no matter what you've, no matter what you've, you are forgiven. And if you've forgotten, Today's a day to remember. And today's the day to say, God, I just rejoice in your grace and your forgiveness, and I receive it like a little cookie kid. And if it's, this is the first time you've heard it, maybe you're like Martin Luther. You've been a, a religious man all your life, been a priest. It's the first time grace has dawned on you. Then I encourage you to make this the day that you say, This is the day that I came to the Father and received. This is the day. I was crucified with Christ. You can do that all to yourself in your heart. Or you can do it outwardly and come forward. But stand, stand with me right now. We're going to worship. We're going to sing. We're going to respond to the word of God. I know some of you struggle with, with the outward saying of things and doing of things. Last, last Sunday, one of my daughters came forward. She said, I get this whole thing of dying to myself. I get this thing of, of Jesus wanting to live through me by faith. She said, I want this to be the day, 1-13-13, to be the day that I mark on the calendar and say, I was crucified with Christ. It's not easy to do, especially when your dad's the, the pastor. But I want you to know, open arms. It's a welcome. So let's respond. Let's pray. Let's talk to God as we worship.